Man, are we good this morning? We're pretty good? Somebody's clapping, right? Yeah. I turned big 4-0 yesterday. The only thing that I'm reminded of was being at my aunt's house when I was like 10 and going to her 40-year-old birthday party going, you are so old. And now it's me. It's me. Yesterday, I'm, I'm in the house and and uh, I'm, the kids are all shifting rooms, and so everybody wants their, their room painted. And so Mia comes in, and, and uh, she's like, Dad, I need to paint. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. She goes, yes, Dad, I do. You're letting Abby paint, and you let me paint. And so I gave her a little jar of paint about this much. She was gone like 30 seconds. Comes back. Her whole entire paintbrush is covered in paint. She's like, I got all over the floor. I was like, I put a drop cloth down. She was like, no, it didn't help. <laughs> I'm like... Oh, man. So she, I was like, just, just put it down. We call her booze. I said, booze, just put it down. I said, just set it down right there. And, and uh, so she sets it down. She goes and washes her hands. She comes back. She's like. I'm like, booze, what are you doing? She goes, I'm just having fun. She goes, I thought I would do that because it's fun. It really is fun, Dad. <laughs> 30 seconds later, I'm going. That really is fun, man. That really is fun. So listen, man, it's good to be here, right? We're talking about the law, the law, right? And so if you've been tracking with the story, right, you know, here's, here's where we've been since the last, we talked about Joseph. You guys remember that when we did this? No, y'all don't? Yeah, somebody remember we did Joseph? Yeah, we did Joseph, right? Then from Joseph, they all landed in Egypt, right? And so we go to Egypt, and so here's going to be our hand sign for Egypt. It's like going to be a hand with shackles, all right? And so after Egypt... Comes Moses, he says, let my, oh, you're right, I messed up already. After Egypt, we say 400 years. 400 years, yeah, my bad, 400 years. Keep me on track, guys. From 400 years, that's how long they stayed. It was really a little longer than that, but that's how long Israel stayed as slaves to Egypt. From there, Moses shows up. So we do this, Moses, let my people go. Ten plagues. Red Sea. Law. Law. All right. Y'all remember this from the last time we did this? I know y'all have been watching online and practicing every week, haven't you? All right. So stand up with me. All right. Stand up. You're like, oh, Chris. It's just pride. All right. Pride's a sin. It makes you fall. All right. Just know this. Okay. And so we're going to go from the very beginning if we can. All right. Help me out here, Brian. Ready? So here we go. Creation. Fall. Flood. Nations. Terah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob wrestles with God, Israel, Joseph, Egypt, 400 years, Moses, let my people go, 10 plagues, Red Sea, law, all of Genesis, 33 chapters of Exodus, you just did it. Right? Yeah. Some of you did it. Okay, you can have a seat. So listen, that's just easy hand signs. Like if you want to go watch this online and, and teach it to your kids, those are like the major events. of the, Like so It's not everything that happens in the Old Testament, but those are the major events. In five minutes, you went through every chapter in Genesis and 33 chapters of Exodus, right? The next one pretty much just finishes up with the promised land. Does that make sense? And so here's the deal. Today we're going to talk about law, right? Now... 
here's the hard part again about this, is that th- this is multiple chapters to cover in 30 minutes, all right? And so um, as I'm reading through this, just trying to say, how, how do we attack this in 30 minutes? I come across Exodus 33, right? And here's what Exodus 33 says. This is after the golden calf. This is after, um, man, the, the anger burning against Israel. The Lord's like, listen, I'm going to send you guys into the promised land, the land that I promised to give you. I'm going to send you there, but I'm not going with you. And Moses comes back and says, what do you mean you're not going with us? It's like, listen, he says, basically, as much as I've been abused by you guys, I don't know if I want to roll with you right now. Right? I mean, that's what he said. And Moses is like, he's like, well, if you're not going with me, then I'm not going. Yeah. He said, if you're not going to go with me, I'm not going. And he said, and on top of that, if you send us and you don't go with us, he goes, how will everyone else know that we are your people? Like, how will they know that we're your people? Right? And so I sat there in that, and I, and I just kind of thought through that. I'm like, how do people know that we're his people? Like, how do, how do people know that you're his people? Okay? Because if you're growing up like I did, like, I've got multiple aspects of what the law looks like. All right, like we know the law is the Ten Commandments. It really includes the Ten Commandments plus, plus other things that the Lord said, right? So it's basically like whatever the Lord said is truth, right? And we put those into the Ten Commandments, but there's actually more than that, right? And we look at that in one of like several different ways. So if you grew up like I grew up, I grew up in church every week on Friday, went on Friday, went on Sunday, and here's the thing. I'm like, if I keep the Ten Commandments, I ask somebody in my life who is close to me, who is further along in their journey with their faith, right? Not very far along, evidently, because here's what I asked them. I said, I said, if I keep the Ten Commandments, will I go to heaven? And they're like, I think so. I think you'll go. Yeah. Now, this is a mentor in my life, right, growing up in that church. Yeah, I think you'll go to heaven if you keep the Ten Commandments. And I said, sweet. Now, I'm in elementary school, Right? And so now I'm like, I got 10 rules to keep. Now, Matt Chandler coined this term called begrudging submission, meaning that like, you do things for your benefit in the end, right? You submit to something to get, your, get what you want, right? And so I'm like, well, that's it, man. I'm never going to say a cuss word ever. <laughs> right? That lasts until sixth grade. Say your first one, man, it's just a downhill slide. So kids, listen to that, right? But that's kind of how the Ten Commandments worked, right? So I'm like, well, that one's done for me, but here's the deal. I'm going to keep the other nine. I'm never going to cheat on my wife. I'm never going to kill somebody. Like, that's how it worked for me. Like, I'm going to begrudgingly submit to these rules, the ones that are easy, and I'm going to begrudgingly submit to the ones that are hard, right? So I, I grow up. 24 years old, I come to know Christ as my Savior for the first time, and, and now I see the law in a whole different way, right? Like, and here's where I would tell you that the church may have lied to me, all right? Like, the, the, the first church kind of lied to me, and now I cross, the, I cross the path, I come to be a, a full-blown believer in Jesus, and I think the church lies to me again because they say, come to know Jesus and all things go away. Like, just as long as you get here, everything's going to be fine, Right? And the law is like the Pharisees and these guys who are these whitewashed cups, right? You're no longer under the law. You can't even fulfill the law. You can't submit. Like Jesus came to do all these things, and so now you're under all this grace, and so just come to Jesus, and everything's going to be perfect. And man, I had a hard time reconciling some of that. Because when I would tell people that, what had been told to me, I was like, it didn't really work for me, but it's supposed to work, so here you go, right? 
Or you track down a third route, right? You're a big Oprah Winfrey follower. And she says one day, she goes, listen, I'm sitting in church one day and I found out the first commandment that the Lord is a jealous God and I can't follow God like that. Right? And so I don't know where Oprah's at now, but if, if that's still it, then I don't know if you can call her a Christ follower. Right? And so those are the three aspects of the law. And so I'm like, when I see Moses in here say, I'm not going anywhere that you're not going. Like Moses had the law. Like it was, it was hand delivered to him. And he's like, he said, I love the law. Like I love it so much that wherever you go, I'm traveling with you. you do you remember this? Like, and, and if you track in Psalms, like that's all David says. He says, like, blessed is the man who's not walking the ways of the wicked, Psalms 1, but, but blessed is the man like who meditates on his law day and night. Psalms 40 says, listen, I, had, I would have died in my affliction had it not been for your law. It's like Psalms 119, like, Lord, your law is ridding on my heart, and I tie it on my hands and my feet. And it's like a wellspring of water in me day and night. Like, this is what David and Moses says about the law, Right? And so I'm like, this doesn't fit. This doesn't fit in phase one of my life on the law. This doesn't really fit in phase two of my life in the law. And this, this definitely doesn't fit in Oprah's phase three um, view of the law. And so I'm like, what am I missing here? Like, I know I'm missing something here, but how can I speak it correctly? Like, what if there's a different view of the law that's a little bit more full than all of these here, Right? And so, man, I'm going to try and attempt to kind of show you maybe a gospel-centered law today, right? Does it make sense? And so before we start, man, I'm just going to ask the Lord to come sit because I need to be able to articulate well. And if you know me, man, I mix, I mix words up real easy sometimes. And so, Father, I would ask you, I would ask you to come and sit here. Lord, that you would sit again with us. That whether we've been walking with you all week or whether we haven't walked with you at all, Lord, that you would come and just sit with us. Like if we've been using you for your stuff, Lord, that you would walk past that and that you would come sit here. Lord, I would ask that you would honor your word. Like make me a faithful proclaimer of it. Like you would stop my tongue from saying stuff that doesn't matter. Like I'm reminded what Job, you said you gave him his mouth. And you taught him how to speak. And so, Lord, I would ask the same thing, that, that it wouldn't be cloudy. Like, Lord, that it would fit. And that people would have a new, maybe, picture of a gospel-centered law. Shut my mouth where it doesn't need to go. And let it proclaim when righteousness. And everyone in this house said, Amen. Man, so man, if you got your Bibles, man, we're going to start. We're going to walk through Exodus 19 here real fast. <clears throat> I say fast, as fast as we go, right? Okay. So Exodus 19, we're going to start in verse one. It says, "On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai." After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and in Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Okay? Now, a couple quick things. They're in the desert of Sinai. They're at Mount Sinai. All right? That's step one. 
Step two, it says, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day. All right? Now, to help you with a little math here, they left Egypt on the 15th day of a month. And so if you're tracking this, now they're on the first day of the third month. So they're 45 days. All right? They're 45 days from watching the Red Sea split in half. Okay? They're 45 days from seeing the cloud of fire. They're 45 days from seeing a pillar of smoke. They're 45 days from seeing the ten... Like, they're 45 days out from watching miracle after miracle after miracle. Are you tracking? Okay. It says, verse 3, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, let's just pause on this for a second, right? Here's what the Lord just said. He says, listen, you saw how powerful I am. Number two, you saw how well I took care of you. Number three, I have handpicked you out of the entire world. Right? You agree with that? Like those are the things that he said. He said, listen, I am, I am all powerful. Like my, my display of power in Egypt was to destroy all of their gods, which he did. Right? He destroyed their military. Like he destroyed an entire government system. <clears throat> and he says, but you saw how tenderly I took care of you right? Like as a father to kids. This is basically how this talks. And he said, and out of all the people in the world, out of everyone in the world, I handpicked you. I handpicked you. This is Jesus talking to you again in John 15, saying the same thing, that anybody who connects to this vine has been handpicked, like you've been chosen. It's why here at New City Church that when we make disciples that we handpick you, Right? It's because it's what the Lord did. So these people have been chosen. They've been handpicked. There's power in that. There's always power in going to somebody and saying, listen, the Lord has knit my heart with you and I've handpicked you to walk with me. There's just power in that because he ordained it from the beginning. So now you're the Israelites and you've been handpicked, right? And here's what he says, verse 7. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people, and he set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Now, before we read this next verse, I need you to erase what Hollywood has taught you about Moses going to the mountain. All right? Like, just erase it for a second. Because what you see in Hollywood happens, but it doesn't happen here. All right? Verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. All right? So let's back up. Let's read that one more time. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Now, depending on who you follow at this point, Right, depending on who, who you're talking to or what you're thinking, right? I was taught in school that this is about 1.2 million people as the nation of Israel at this point. All right? And the Lord just said that everyone's going to hear me speak. Right? Did you read that with me? It's what he said. 
He said, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you. So all the nation of Israel is going to hear him talking. Like they're going to hear the voice of the Lord in an audible voice, right? Do we read that here? And it's truth. So he's going to gather the entire nation of Israel around the mountain and they're all going to hear him speak. It's not like it's going to come to Moses and he's going to walk back down. Like they're going to hear him talk. It's just like you and I standing right here and you're hearing my voice. It's the same story. It'd be like the Lord coming down and everyone in this room hearing an audible voice, right? So Moses goes down. I'm going to speed this story up. Moses goes down, tells them to consecrate themselves, tells them what it looks like to approach the living God, right? Tells them that they can't come up the mountain lest they die, right? I'm going to fast forward you to verse 20. It says, the Lord descended to the top of the mountain and he called Moses to the top of it. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see. So they're not forced away to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves so the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you yourself already warned us. You put limits around the mountain and set apart it as holy. All right? So here we see Moses reminding the Lord of what he's already said. So why does the Lord say it to begin with? Why would the Lord repeat itself? Because he knows men's hearts. He knows the rebellion that's living inside of us. And he knows there are men and women down there who are, trying, who are going to break through to come up and try and see what's going on. And it's like if they do it, they're going to die. Again, this is his grace being pushed out. Moses is like, well, you already told us once not to come. He's like, Moses, not everyone's like you. Not everyone's like you. And so going forward in this story, I want to set the tone for who we are. All right? We're not Moses. We're not David. Okay? Everyone in this room, including me, is the Israelites. Right? It's important to know which character you play. Is that fair? And so here we go. So Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, and God spoke all these words. Verse, chapter 20, verse 2, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, did we just establish that all of the nation of Israel heard him say this? then why in the world, less than 40 days later, are they building these images of golden calves? This is no different than any Sunday morning across America when somebody stands up to preach the gospel of the Lord and everybody hears, but no one listens. Right? This thing gets even worse. Aaron's up on the mountain with him. But when Aaron's partying with everybody else, they're like, Aaron, what happened? He's like, I don't know. The golden calf just came out of the fire. Right? 
Now, it's a funny story, but it ends tragically, right? Now, let me just kind of keep pushing on you just a little bit, right? Because you're like, where is this going? Do you remember another story just like this, right? Where everybody heard what was supposed to happen, get one commandment, and we break it. Remember that story? Like Adam and Eve, you remember this one? So Adam and Eve, same story. The Lord sets them up to win. He says, listen, I've created you to enjoy me, for me to enjoy you, for us to be in a relationship. I've given you dominion over everything. I've handpicked you two to have dominion over everything, to multiply on this earth, to name all the animals in a place where there's no death. I just ask you not to do one thing. Right? And they do it. And, and they do that one thing that he asked them not to do. And if you track this story over and over, like when we get into Judges, it's the same story. The Lord's like, I'm going to set you up to win. I'm going to hand pick you, hand choose you. I'm going to set you up to win. But here's the things that I need you to follow. And over and over what you see is you see man saying, God, we don't want you. We want your stuff. Like we, we, we want your stuff. Like it's Romans 1, it says they changed the image of the creator. They traded the image of the creator for the created things. And eventually it says the Lord just gave them over there to the private because he's like, listen, I, I set you up to win over and over and constantly you say, you don't want me, you just want my stuff. And there comes a point in the Lord where he's like, I don't know what else to do except to give, it, give you over to that. Like, are you tracking? And so here's where I want to go with this. Like, like the reason the Lord gave us the law, right? Like the reason he handed it to us. It, it can't be for begrudging submission. It, and it can't be this pharisaical thing. And it definitely can't be this ignorance things of the gospel. So the question is, why does he give us the law? Well, in order for us to understand how come he gave us the law, is that we've got to understand Ephesians 1, which we've already talked about Ephesians 1. Like, we don't have time to go back for this, but we know that the Lord exists for His glory, right? Like, we know this. Like, if you're not familiar with this story, like, don't start thinking, Chris, he's, he's, he's selfish and all these things. Don't send me any emails. You need to go back and watch Ephesians 1. The Lord exists for His namesake. He's like, I will not give my glory to another. Like, that's how He rolls. And so since the Lord is after His glory, He will not get it by my begrudging submission. Like, if he, if he gets glory by my begrudging submission, and I get to heaven because of begrudging submission, and it's like, heaven is not for that. Heaven is not for people who give begrudging submission to the Lord. Heaven is for people who love him. Does this make sense? And so since he's not after my begrudging submission, he is after his glory, what is he after in me? He's only after one thing. He's after my joy. Exactly right. Because the Lord knows that if he goes after your joy... Like if he, go, if he goes after your joy, like if he, if he sets these decrees up to where you have joy in your life, you will inevitably give, give glory to him for giving it to you, and thus you become an instrument of his glory for his namesake. It's how he works. And so if the Lord is after my joy, he cannot be for my begrudging submission. And so what he does is he comes and he says, listen, I, I made the world like I created it. And I made it when it was perfect. I was also there when you broke it. And when you broke it, like I was there, I saw it happen, I saw it play out. And so because now that it's broken, like, here's what you got to do to kind of keep your joy going. 
Here's how you got to keep your joy rolling. And so when I do what it says about my marriage, and when you obey what it says about your family, and when you obey what it says about your finances, and when you obey what it says about whatever you want to put in that box, it is because the Lord is after your joy. The reason that Aaron couldn't figure this out, but Moses and David did, is because they knew that the law produced freedom in their lives. It's why he said, had your, had your freedom not come into me, had your law not come, my affliction would have been great and I would have died from it. And so the Lord says, listen, here's what I'm putting into place because you've been doing your way for so much longer, which you've already proven doesn't work for you. Like you already walked this out. The reason that I've given you my law is so that when you try to figure out that your way doesn't work anymore, that you will realign your way with my way because it's the way that I set the entire universe in creation and it's the way that it's supposed to work and you'll understand, man, it's for your joy. It's for joy. And when you track down that joy, you will become an instrument of glory for him. You know why? Because the stuff that doesn't make any sense in your life, when you do what he says and it works, your faith grows. Does this make sense? It's after your joy. And that's why when I preach up here, I'm like, I'm no longer preaching for your happiness. Happiness comes and goes, but i got to preach towards your joy. Because when I preach towards your joy, you'll fall more in love with Christ. And the more in love you fall with Christ, the more his glory falls on you, and you become a radiant of this thing, right? And so here's the second thing I want to push into you on, all right? And I, I want you to really pay attention to this piece, okay? You won't keep the law perfectly, right? Like, we know this. And so here's the beauty of it. The universe does not exist around you, right? Like, breathe that in, all right? Just breathe it in. Like, you're not the center of the universe. You were never created to be the center of the universe. You were never created to wear that kind of weight, right? But, but here's what happens when you are the center of the universe. You'll know it because it's all about you. It, it's all about you. And the number one source of conflict in your life, nine times out of ten, is you. It's you. The reason you don't get along at work with your boss, because they're not giving you the glory that you're due. The reason you can't drive down the street lane without yelling at somebody is because they're in your way. All right? Let me tell you, this thing filters over into everything. The reason there's conflict in your marriage is because you have expectation that doesn't need to be there. Because it's all about you again. This makes sense? And when your marriage is about you and there's expectation there, there's never room for grace in that. And it's like, he's not meeting my needs, she's not meeting my needs, he's not meeting my needs, she's not meeting my needs. And the next thing you know, you're in this horrific cycle that ends usually in divorce. Or at best, roommates. Right? And so I want you to rest in that. And I want you to find peace in that, that it's been... It's not about you. And when it is about you, it will crush you under that. And here's what I can, if I can just speak from personal experience. It's like when it's all about you, at the end of the day, you will be tired and you will be wore out and you will be exhausted every day. Because here's what the Lord knows about us. Me too. He knows that I am my own worst enemy. And so are you. Like, think about this. Who's lied to you more than you've lied to yourself? Who's told you that you're better than so-and-so 
more than yourself? Who's told you that you're worse than so-and-so more than yourself? Who's lied to you more than you lied to yourself? Right? I mean, the Lord's like, man, you sleep with the enemy every night. And that's why my decrees are here. And when you run to them, there will be a freedom produced in your life that you will not be able to explain. Because I set the world up that way. Right? So a lot of you guys are like, man, Chris, I'm still, I'm still not kind of seeing this clearly. And so I'm going to try and offer you one more piece of the gospel in real time. All right? Like, I talked with Rachel about this. We felt like it was a good time to share this. All right? It's just a good story. And this is, this is the gospel in real time of how this thing actually plays out in life. All right? So <clears throat> if, if you know our story, you know, we're walking, through, we're walking through a season of ovarian cancer in my house. And, and as we do this, like um, the week prior to Memorial Day when we go there, um, they tell us all this stuff, and they're like, hey, here's what we want you to know. There's, there's that, that based on Rachel's age being 43, like the chance of her actually having this is only 9 per 100,000 people, right? And so we're like, that's awesome. That's a Friday, and we're still tracking with the Lord. Like our hearts are still knit. Our hearts are still tender towards them, Right? And so as, as we get into this, so Saturday comes, Sunday comes, Monday we leave for the Smoky Mountains. So we're traveling down, and I would say at this point, man, still tender towards the things of God, right? On Tuesday, we get the phone call, and we have to send Rachel back on an airplane and send her back here to start, her, uh, start this underlying story for us. And Tuesday night, she calls me, and she's like, man, she goes, man, everything I'm reading says for us is, is the Lord saying for, for me just to trust him. And you know, what I didn't tell her was like for the week prior, like everything that I read said the same thing. Just trust me in this. Just trust me in this, right? So Wednesday comes around. She gets up in the middle of the night. She calls me up. She's like, hey, the Lord got me up in the middle of the night. He's like, he just, he's leaning on me telling me we need to trust him in this. And I'm like, man, this is crazy because everything I'm reading is the same thing. And in my heart, I know this is not good. Like, I can just sense it. So Thursday's an up and down road. Have another conversation Thursday night. They're just like, he's, he's waking me up all the time. Like, he's telling me just to trust him in this. I'm like, it's everything that I'm reading, too. Like, I know, some, I know, like I know down deep, I'm like, he wouldn't be telling us this not for a good reason. Right? And so the story begins to unfold. Well, you know what I decide to do? Thursday night, I'm laying in bed in the Smoky Mountains. Rachel's here. I'm laying in bed with Noah. And I was like, you know what? Here's what they told us. Nine in 100,000. And that's where I'm hanging my hat. I'm going to hang my hat there. And so Friday morning, I'm like, Lord, I'll sing songs to you, but I'm not sitting with you because I'm not listening to anything else you need to tell me. I'm not going to listen. Saturday's the same way. Sunday, every morning, I'm making a conscious decision. I'm like, Lord, I'm not going to sit with you because I don't want to know what you got to say. I'm going on the nine in 100,000. Like, I'm doing this. Monday, I get sick. I got all day to spend the time with the Lord. You know what I do? I Netflix binge. You know why? Because I'm like, Lord, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen to this. Like, I'm, you're confirming something in my wife that you're confirming to me, but I heard the doctor say nine per 100,000. I'm not sitting with you. You know what happens? Wednesday we go in, 
I'm full of confidence. Nine per 100,000. I'm full of Chris Moore's confidence. Two hours turns into two and a half, turns into three, turns into 320. I'm like, sitting in that little room, surgeon walks in the door and she goes, it's much worse than we thought. You know what happened to me? Because I turned my face like flint to the Lord. I was not ready to receive it. And I don't want to make this about me, but you need to understand that I'm an Israelite just like you. I'm just like you. So we barrel on because that, that doesn't get better, right? Like your heart is now kind of hardened up. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just like, you know, that turns to anger and to frustration. <clears throat> and then about three days, four days later, one of the elders of this church is like, man, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm like, dude, I was like, I think I'm, my heart's in rebellion mode. Like I'm in rebellion towards the Lord right now. Like I'm just in rebellion. She texts me later. She says, I want you to read Isaiah 50. If you've ever read Isaiah 50, here's what the Lord says to you. He says, who gave you your certificate of divorce? He goes, because I didn't give you one. He said, I walked into the room and you were gone. He said, although I called your name, you did not answer me. He goes, I walked in. I was looking for you, but you were nowhere to be found. So produce your certificate of divorce because I didn't give it to you. I'm like, he's fucking right to me. Because see, what had happened to me is I had gotten worse. Every day that I chose not to sit with him, at nighttime, I was worse. My heart was hard. My temper was short. Every night, I got worse. Like, I began not to like who I was. And so I'm reading this Isaiah 50, and I'm like, this is me. This is me. Like, in, in a matter of eight days, this is me. And so you know what you do at that point? get you a chair and you sit on your deck and you out there and you confess your sin. That's what you do. You confess. You move into what believers call repentance and faith and saying, you know what? I was wrong. Like I did it my way and this is where it led me. Isaiah, 40, Isaiah 50 says, listen, all these transgressions that are on you are on you because of you and your ignorance towards me. He goes, if you realign yourself with my way, you will find your freedom again. And in a heartbeat, man, just, just of that confession, man, things were right again. Because here's what the Lord doesn't do. He doesn't ever come and say, I told you so. Like it's like a sweet moment with him. And for us as believers, it's a time for us to say, it's your ways. Like I didn't create the universe. Job said it best. He's like, Lord, here's my problem. And the Lord says, shut your mouth. He goes, you're so old. He goes, you live like 40 years. He goes, but you weren't around when I made the foundations of the earth. And you weren't there when I told the seas to stop right here. And you weren't there when I built the clouds to canopy from the sun. Like he goes, you weren't there. He goes, it's why my ways are higher. It's like if you run to my laws, like if you chase me down, you will find your freedom. And when you find your freedom, you will give me glory for it. You know why? Because it's the way I set this thing up. When Moses said to them, he said, 
how will the people know we're yours? Like, how will the people know we're yours? Man, here's, here's how we don't. I tell you what, I guarantee you, everyone in this room can speak some really good Christianese. Like, you know the language. It's good to see you, brother. Pray for you. All right? But here's, here's the thing about running to the law. Like, every Christ follower, this marks your life. This is what separates us from everybody else is that in our lives there is ongoing repentance and faith that he's going to do what he said he did. Like there's ongoing places of us to change our mind and to say, man, this is where I've gotten off keel. And and I'm believing God that what you say is true and so this is what I'm going to do. It's the only thing that I know that actually demarcates a a true believer's life. I've watched men and women grow so hard toward the Lord and never return. But I've seen true believers do this, man. That's what they do. And so you know how I roll, man. I'm like, I'm super big on not just reading the word, but doing it. And if I'm preaching for your joy, like if I'm preaching for your joy, then here's what the Lord calls us into. He says, listen, man, come sit with me. Man, confess where your way, thought you thought your way was much better, which isn't working for you. You already know this. It's like, man, realign yourself with my way, right? Bring shalom back into your life like peace, right? And have faith to believe that I am who I say I am and will do in you what I say I will do, right? So what do we do, right? Here's, here's how we're going to end this thing. We tell Curtis, since he's going to have a band, he's free to do whatever he wants. We don't know what he's going to play. or what it, It's like, man, whatever the Lord is leading you to do, you do. Like you let the Spirit lead you. This is one of those Sundays where you get to do this. Right? And here's what I would say to you. Do the same. Like, come up here and sit with me. I'm just going to confess that Jesus is the Lord of me. I'm going to pray for you guys. All right? It says the Lord loves the knee that's bent. He cannot stand a neck that stays stiff. I mean, he won't bow to this. All right? Like at some level, man, I'm calling you into repentance. I think it's good. I think the church as a whole should do this every time it gets the opportunity. And so... Man, you've got 10, 15, 20 minutes here to do this, all right? Or you can stay stiff-necked. It's not my call, all right? And so this stage is open. I'm just going to kind of sit up here. You're welcome to come sit with me. Let Curtis do his thing, all right? And I'm just going to confess areas of my life where I'm like, dude, I've gotten off kill here. And I believe, Lord, when I say that to you, and you will bring me back, and your glory will roll through me, and there will be freedom in me, Yeah? So, Lord, you are good. I praise your name. I've said enough. It's your spirit that moves people into repentance, Lord. It's not me. I only want to do what I call you, see you calling us into. So, Lord, be with Curtis. Man, fill his lungs. Let him lead us into the throne of praise for you. Let us sit with you, Father. Let us confess that we've gotten off track. Realign our lives with you. And everyone in this house said, 